Where I want to begin with a question is believing in Jesus enough. Now, on, on first hearing of that question, you might think, well, the answer to that is very easy. Uh, but it really is not as easy as we first might think. Is believing in Jesus enough? It all really boils down to what you mean by believing. And we're going to see that in this passage this morning. As we look at the Scripture, the Scripture has some um, complexity to it. It has some issues and themes and topics that it deals with that have some difficulty in understanding to its, its fullness. But in some ways, there's other passages that deal with some major um, challenges for our life and put it in the most simplest of terms. Uh, we looked at that last week. Well, what does it really mean uh, and how do we live out the Christian life? Well, Paul put it pretty plainly in the, the chapter that we're now in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, therefore, uh, be imitators of God as dear children. As we think of what it means to live out the Christian life, just mimic, mimetai, mimic God, imitate God, and just like a child, and you go a long way to live out the life God has called you to live if you have a relationship with him. I had a kind of a fun experience uh, this past week. I was um, out in the community, and I just came across a grandmother and her two grandchildren and got in conversation with Lucas, his the, the boy among the two grandchildren of this, uh, this grandmother. And we got in a conversation. He says, I'm, I'm five years older than my sister, and my sister is four. And being the brilliant guy that I am, I said, that means you're probably nine. And he said, you're right. And then he said, well, how old are you? <laughs> to which I decided I'd answer that with a question. I said, well, how old do you think I am? And he thought for a moment, and he thought for another moment, and he said, I think you're 38. And I said, oh, I love you already. All right. I said, no, you missed it by just a few years. And then he said, okay, let me guess again. I, I think you're 32. And I said, I'm going to adopt you right now, all right? And then we proceeded to go on, and then he said, well, uh, no, you kind of missed it. It's a little bit higher than that. And so his, his grandmother actually got in the conversation. He said, well, just think about your mom, you know, when you, she had you and how old she is now. He says, I think he's 48, and I thought I'd adopt her as well, all right? Well, anyway, then I eventually told him how old I was, and, um, you know, that kind of broke my heart. But anyway, you know, as you think about life, people will either underestimate or overestimate your age, right? Sometimes they think that you're younger than you are. Sometimes they think you're older than you are. Now, in the Christian life, God wants you to think young, doesn't he? He wants you to think as a person who's still full of life and not thinking about death. He wants you to take advantage of every moment you have to recognize that you haven't learned it all yet. There's still many more things to learn, many more things to explore. And also, as you go through life, you need to depend upon someone a little bit wiser than yourself. And that's really what a child does who imitates someone else. I think I want to follow their example because I think they know what they're doing. And that's what God wants us to do as we follow Jesus. He wants us to recognize that humbly he knows more than we do. And so we want to imitate, mimic his life as we understand the life he has given to us. But as Paul begins this chapter, again, when he's speaking to the church, speaking into people's lives in terms of how to live out what God has put into your life, 
you've been with us or if you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, Paul spends three chapters speaking about what God has done. And then he spends the last three chapters what he wants us to do. What God has done is he has made us a new creature in Christ. He has given us a new life. He's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We got all that we need to live out our life for God. So we, we know that we've got it, and we're not, in other words, we're not incapable of living out the, Christ, the life Christ wants us to live. And now he says, well, this is how you do it. And he begins chapter 5, he's saying, well, just simply mimic God. Just do what God does. Just mimic Jesus. Be like a little child. And then he even talks about what that will look like. Well, walk in love, just as Christ also has loved you and gave himself for you. And, you know, a, a fragrant offering to God. A sacrifice given to him. So we ought to live a life of imitation. We ought to live a life of love. And we ought to live a life of sacrifice. But as Paul begins kind of his emphasis there in terms of living out the normal Christian life, he recognized that not only do you need to deal with the positive, you need to kind of look at what could mess us up. Well, what are some things that could drag us down in our walk with God? And so it begins verse 3 with a big but. But... I want you to understand, as you look at where you need to go, I want you to know where you need not to go. And that's kind of the introduction to my simple desire this morning to answer the question, is believing in Jesus enough? The answer is both yes and no. And we're going to look at that this morning. And it all all revolves around what you mean by believe. If you simply mean believing is agreeing intellectually to a certain uh, historical uh, group of facts about Jesus, that, that's a beginning, but that's not all believing is or saving faith is in the scriptures. Believing, and you can see this if we were to trace the word connection uh, throughout the New Testament, believing is always related to repentance. If you truly believe, then you'll repent. And to repent, something needs to be turned around. You're going one direction, and now God wants you to go the other direction. And so Paul, as he speaks into this church, this group of people gathered together as believers, he recognizes some of them are true believers and some are not. And so he speaks both to those who are truly of the faith and those who only think they are of the faith, those who are Um, posers, those who are deceived, that they really are part of the family of God. And and he speaks to both of them in in the text that we're going to look at. What's the answer? Is believing in Jesus enough? The answer is no. If by that you mean you believe in Jesus and you do whatever you want. If you think that all you need is a ticket to heaven and now, now it's this well, just live life like you always lived before, other than you know that you're going to go to heaven. If you think that's what it is, then believing for you is not enough. Because your belief is not true belief in terms of what the Bible says. The Bible says even the demons believe, but they're not going to heaven. Because they still do whatever they want. And what their leader does, the evil one, the Satan, the Lucifer. True believers change their whole mindset and their heart set. Okay, now that I believe, I, I don't do simply what I want, but what God wants. And we'll look at that in a moment. So believing in Jesus is not enough. If by that you mean believing in Jesus, you can do whatever you want. And this is what he says. He says in verse 3, in chapter 5, But fornication in all uncleanliness or covetousness, 
Let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for the saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And these uh, verses, these two verses, he, he really speaks to those who are true believers. And he says, okay, I want you to understand that if you truly follow Jesus Christ, there's some things that, that uh, will, should not ever be a, a, an accurate description of who you are. Is that you should not be involved in fornication. You should not be involved in uncleanliness. You should not be involved in covetousness. Now, as he says this, he understands that some of them are actually involved in that. But he says this should be not a pattern of life. This should not be a lifestyle. This might be a sin you fall into, but you don't stay there. Because that's not who you are anymore. You, you are not that kind of person. You're not a person, as we'll see later on, a person who can be described as a person of the darkness. You are a person of the light. Now, you might do deeds of darkness, but you are a person who does light because that's who you are. But he, but he has to challenge them because some of them are involved in that. Uh, to put it this way, uh, those who are true Christians can do any sin that anybody who is not a Christian commits a sin. We, we don't have a get-out-of-jail card that says we'll never fall into any kind of sin. But what we do have is a statement by God that if we do fall into sin, we're not going to stay there. He says, because it's not fitting for the Christian, because that's not who you are. It shouldn't even be named among you. So if that's what you have done, get out of there fast. Now, the first one he says is fornication. Now, fornication is usually described of, of sex outside of marriage, particularly sex before marriage, where adultery would be sex outside of marriage or you are married. And then you have all the other sexual types of sins, whether it be homosexuality, whether it be polygamy, whether it be bestiality, whether, whether, whatever it might be. The word fornication in the original language comes from a word that we can relate to in our culture because it's the word pornea from which we get the word pornography. And he said, you should not be involved in any pornographic type of behavior. Now, he knows that some of them are struggling with that and participating in that. He says, you need to run from that and run to the one who can deliver you out of that. Now, take just pornography in its most generic state, which is... The, the habit of, of those who, who pull up pictures on the Internet or in magazines or whatever it might be and, and, and look at pornographic sexual expressions uh, visually. He said, that, sh- that should be far from you. And yet we know statistically now in America that 60% of all men are, are involved regularly in pornography. It, it's the seventh largest industry financially in America. It, it's, it's big bucks. And it, it is so damaging. I was reading a, a, an article about what it actually does to the male brain. It just fries it. It just, it just rewires things. And it's so hard to get set free from that. And, and he said, just get as far away from that as possible because that should not even be named among you. And, and that's where... We need to believe that God can set us free from any habits of the flesh. Now, what's the difference between a Christian who's involved in pornographic behavior and a non-Christian who is involved in pornographic uh, behavior? Well, I would put it this way. All sin is an action. 
an action of the mind or an action in terms of the physical expression of it. But what God what would tell us is that for the Christian, after the action, we have a different reaction than a person who doesn't know Jesus. When we're involved in sin, and we're going to look at other sins other than pornea or fornication, because sin is not just general, it's very specific. But when we sin, hopefully our reaction is sorrow. That, that we, we are saddened that we have broken the heart of God, that we've displeased him and dishonored him. And, and we, are, we are pleading with him to, to set us free from that, to not fall back into it. And, and interesting enough, part of, the, uh, part of the assurance of your salvation is that when you sin, you feel bad about it. And, and, and the more you walk with God, the more you feel bad about sin that you commit. Now, for a person who doesn't know Jesus, you might feel bad because you got caught and someone looks at you a little bit less impressively than they did before. Or you might get some consequences for certain behavior. There might be some physical consequences for doing that which is wrong. But you don't feel bad about that being something that saddens God or dishonors God. You just feel bad about getting caught. And so we need to understand that the difference between a Christian and non-Christian is, is not so much perfection, we still sin, but what is our direction? We don't want to live like that anymore. And so Paul is pleading with him saying, look, that's not who you are, and that's not what you want to be, so do whatever you can to get away from that. And, and that's a whole other series of messages. How do you deal with sins in your life that are hard to break? And, and simply put, you need to be in accountable relationships. You need to be removing yourself from places that give you temptation to fall into that. If, if the computer screen, say pornography, it causes you to look at things, then if, if you can't get away from anything, then throw out your computer. and don't have a computer at home. Did we used to exist before? Uh, I'm, some of you probably have never, ever lived w- without a computer. No. We've all lived without a computer, right? If, if, that was, if that was the case, then you do whatever you can to get as far away from that sin as possible. Ask, ask for the dependence upon God, memorize scripture. There's all kinds of ways to get away from sin. It's not going to be easy. The Bible says that you have not yet shed blood in your resistance against sin. You can be set free, but be as far away from it as possible. Desire that so much that you'll do everything you can to break from that sin. But he doesn't just leave it with fornication. He goes on and he said, uh, also uncleanness, which is anything that's rotten, anything that's foul. And then he goes on, um, covetousness. Now, covetousness is interesting. Of, of all the Ten Commandments, we probably speak less about thou shalt not covet. Because it's, I don't know, it, doesn't, it seems like a victimless crime, right? If I want something really badly, is it really that bad? You might not even know I want something really bad. So why are we worried about what you, what you like or don't like? But covetousness is that which can lead, really, it's an entry point for all kinds of things that can destroy your life and the, and the lives of people around you. What is covetousness? Covetousness, uh, you can define it in a variety of different ways. Number one, it's, it's wanting more. And, and it, it, there's nothing wrong with wanting more, but what you want more, it, it's, it, it's wanting more, something more, and, and until you get more, you cannot be happy. You cannot, you cannot be settled in your, we, we sang, be still my soul. Okay? Your soul can't be still until you have that which you want more of. And, and, and Paul says, you can't live that way as a follower of Christ, as a believer, because you have all that you need. Remember, he spent all those three chapters talking about that. You, you don't need more. Now, if you get more, that's all right. 
But having more is not what you need to be fully filled with joy. The Bible says in Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. If you've got God, you don't need anything else. Yeah, yeah. You know, look at the people in the, I mean, look at them, but, you know, envision the people in the Philippines now. And, and when we were there on a mission trip, we saw people of, of pretty much every economic strata. There were some people very, very successful there. And there were very, there were a lot of people that had very little. But if you were in that place where disaster ran through your community, some of the things that you cherish so much for life, now that they were not there, what is more important to you? Having your loved ones around you? Having any place to, to sleep that next night that's dry? Having any kind of food for the next meal? You're not that concerned about how many different suits you have in your, in your closet. You're not that concerned about how many cars you might have in your garage. Those things mean absolutely nothing at that moment. Because the things that are really important are the things that bring you joy. And without them is what you struggle with. And so anything that we want more of that's tied to our happiness, and when we don't have it, as the Bible says, that really becomes idolatrous. In fact, in Colossians it says that covetousness or greed is idolatry. And, you know, greed is this desire, covetousness is a desire, but it's when that desire takes control, when it's out of control when it's tied to your happiness. I guess the humbling thing for each one of us right now, what, what is it in your life right now that, that you need to have for you to have joy? It can be even physical health. You know, until I'm completely healthy, I cannot experience joy. Now, I cherish my health. I, God has been so gracious to me. I mean, I break bones and do all kinds of weird things, but, but I have good health. But what if you lost your health? Would it, is, is health your idol? Uh, maybe it, it's, it's some goal at work, or, or maybe it's some possession, or maybe it's some, some relationship. And, and you have to have it for you to have joy. Well, covetousness is putting something before God, saying, God, I need that even more than I need you. Is that that should not even be named among you. It's not fitting for you. Now, that touches down to where we all live, isn't it? Because there are some things that are pretty important to me. And I don't think about them until I don't have them. I mean, I can, I can, I'm pretty good with the things, you know, the, the, the trinkets out there. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind having more trinkets, but if I don't have them. But there are other things that are even, you know, really, really important to me. And when they're not there is when I begin to know they're lost, but... But once we have Jesus, is there anything more this life really has to offer us? So it really gets down to the, the, the foundation of our faith. But, but he goes on, he says, I, I know that there, there are the actions of covetousness and uncleanness and fornication. But even the way we speak, he goes, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting. Now, what, what comes of our, out of our mouth often reflects what's in our heart, isn't it? You know, some people, man, no matter what you say, they can turn around and make it almost nasty or filthy. Or, I mean, in our culture now, a lot of comedians, it, it's, it's not the, um, 
it's not it's not the Huxtable home improvement. There isn't you know there, there is that there isn't the uh, um, that that clean humor as much anymore. Most of it's pretty filthy, and reflects kind of the culture we're in. And, and so we don't want to fall in that kind of pattern where where what comes out of our mouth reflects what's in our heart. That shouldn't even be named among us. And, and the way to change our language is is to be more thankful, isn't it? I've I've never really met a person who was very, very, very thankful and grateful that wasn't happy. Isn't that true? You know, when you're thankful and you're grateful, it changes everything. We don't, we wouldn't mind having more or something different, but we don't need it because we're content. And Paul said, I can, I've learned to have abundance and I've learned to have that which other people would call suffering and need. But as long as I am content in Christ, I have it all. But as Paul writes this to them, he, he recognizes that some are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I didn't know this is what I was buying into. I, I don't mind going to heaven, but I, I, I want to do what I want. If physically I want to have a relationship with someone, I don't care whether I'm married to them or not. Or if if I want to be involved in some activity that just gives me a thrill or a rush, I want to be involved in that. Uh, If there's some things I want, I want to pursue them as strongly as possible. Uh, So Paul, he, he ups the ante here a little bit in terms of saying, okay, I want you to understand. This is not just trying to be a, a, a good person and, and, and God smiles at good people. If this is not what you want, what God wants, this is God's verdict on you. Uh, look, what he, look what he writes next. He said, let no one deceive you. Oh, back up a little bit. Look at verse 5. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean purpose person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, puts these things above God himself, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. You see, I want you to understand, some of us are wondering, what, what, kind, of, what kind of mansion are we going to have when we get to heaven? You know, what, what, what kind of, what kind of uh, dwelling places will God prepare for us? And for most of us who thought about that, all, all we want is to get there. I don't care if it's a hut. Somebody else can have the mansion. I just want to get there. And Paul says, I want you to understand, you have not just a little inheritance in heaven. You have no inheritance. You're going to get up there and there's going to be no, there no vacancy um, sign up there. Is that right? No vacancy. That means you can't get in, right? It is, is, that's what's going to happen when you get there. Because your faith is not a true faith because you're, you're doing whatever you want. And that's not the description of a Christian. A true follower of Christ, a true believer. A believer is a person who repents and turns around. There's going to be no inheritance. And just in case we didn't get it that way, he says it again. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. But because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. See, believing is not enough if by that you mean you do whatever you want, which means you can disobey God and it doesn't matter. Now, we are called sons of obedience, not sons of disobedience. Not that, not that we'll do it perfectly. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. It's about, it's about our actions, but even more so, it's our reactions when we do sin. Are we categorized by our heart is wanting to obey God, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and what? Obey. 
And if not, the wrath of God, judgment will be upon us. There will be many people populated in hell who thought they were Christians simply because they prayed a prayer. And thought they got a ticket. No, it's a transformation. It's a change. And we're now going in another direction. Is believing in Jesus enough? No. If by that you mean you can do whatever you want. It's like the demon believing, but their lives are still the same. Well, the answer to that question is believing in Jesus enough is both yes and no. We looked at no. Well, what about yes? Yes. If by that you mean you believe in Jesus and you do whatever he wants. And that's what the next verses really kind of, again, focus on. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7 through 14, he says, Therefore, do not be partakers with them. And he's saying, okay, don't live like a lot of other people are living. That's not who you are. You are now separate. That's what it means to be a saint. You are separate from that kind of lifestyle. You are holy, which means, again, you are separate from that. Not that we do it perfectly, but that we're now different people because Christ lives within us. He says, for you were once darkness. That's how you were. Your life were described by darkness. But now you are light in the world. Uh, and this, again, kind of is the familiar theme of the Apostle Paul. Before he tells you and tells us what we ought to do, he tells us what God has already done. This is who you are. Now act like it. He said, you are light in the world. And then he says, the next phrase, walk as children of light. Since you are light, then walk as it. Look like it. Live like it. And what will that look like? Verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. A person, a person who walks in light is committed, first of all, uh, to the truth. You don't want to live a, lie, a, lie, a life of lie, a lies. You, want to be, you don't want to be hypocritical in how you live. You want to be honest and straightforward. And then morally, you want to do that which is good and that which is right. Now, we never do it perfectly, but that's the direction of our life. And then when we mess up, we own up to it. Then in verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Uh, What pleases God? It's pretty simple. That which is good, that which is right, and that which is true, that which is characterized by the light and not that which is by the dark, darkness. You know, we, you know, Psalm 119 and 105, what, what is light? The Bible says that the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If we want to know what is light in God's eyes, we don't have to, we don't have, to have a, a debate. And it's your opinion and my opinion. I mean, we can share opinions, but God's word tells us what is light and what is darkness. That which is good, that which is right, and that which is true. And then in verse 11, he says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Uh, we, we don't want to just follow after someone else's example. We don't want to imitate people who are going down the wrong path, but we want to expose that, and just simply by living that life will expose it. Verse 12, For it is a shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. We don't have to uh, tell in detail people's uh, expose into sin, but we want to reveal what sin is by doing that which is opposite. And then verse 13, But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Now, I have to admit this, even though I'm only, was that 38? Is that how old I am? Or was it 32? 32. But, you know, even at the age of 32, well, it's not exactly right. But anyway, I have now discovered, I know none of you have ever struggled with this, but now when I read, you know, a book that has smaller print, if there's not enough, what? I can't read it. 
not enough light. It never used to be that way. You know, my eyesight was, you know, I could read in all kinds of places. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who've learned to, to, to read in the car because if, if I get my, my wife to drive, then I, there's all kinds of things I want to read. So I'm reading, you know, and I don't get sick anymore. And so, but there are times if there's not enough light, I cannot see well enough to read. And, and light exposes the print on a page, doesn't it? And what light does in all of light, it exposes that which is good and that which is not good. And so God wants us to know that Jesus is the light of the world and he's made us lights in this world. He wants us to walk as children of light. Now, as he speaks to people that he wants them to know is believing in Jesus enough and he wants to understand there's a, there's, a, there's a no and there's a yes. There's a no to that if, that if you buy that belief and you think that you can do whatever you want. And there's times we do what we want. I'm not saying Christians don't do what they want and fall after their own path. But that's not really the direction of our heart. We want to do what he wants. But it's no if you think you can get away with anything you want, anytime you want, and God doesn't care. If that's... If that's really your thought toward God, then you don't really know God because God is so far from that. He understands when we mess up. But if we think that we're getting away with it and that's, that's okay with him, then we don't really know him. But the answer is yes, believe that we, we can't save ourselves. All we, all we can do is, is just fall at his feet and trust him that he'll give us what we don't deserve. And if we believe that and say, God, I want to do what you want, and I, I know I'll mess up, but I, I really do want to live a life that you want, then, yeah, believing is enough. His grace covers it. And then we're like the word that Paul finishes with in this section. He says, therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. And from the dead, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. It's really a phrase that's quoted from the Old Testament that many people believe in the first century. They, they, they phrased it into a, an Easter hymn. That was part of what they sang. We don't have the whole hymn or the whole chorus or whatever it might be, but it was a statement that what's the invitation for people is those who are asleep, you need to, you need to wake up. Those of you who are dead, spiritually dead, you need, to, you, need to be, you need to rise up. And then you need to understand how that happens is that Christ will give you light in the midst of your darkness. So what's the so what this morning? You know, and this is, this is the heart of the, of the book of James. What is true faith? That's what we're talking about here. True faith is a faith that saves, and a faith that saves is a faith that shows. It, it, will, it will show in our life that we truly know the Savior. Let our redeemed life say that which has been redeemed. Never perfectly, but that's, that's the heart passion of our life, that we want to do what God wants, not what we want. You know, as I was hearing and reading the reports, it seemed like the more, the, you know, I read certain things last night and then I read some things really early this morning on the Internet related to the Philippines. And it just, just breaks your heart. I mean, last night it was 1,200 and now it's 10,000. And then they talk about the millions of those who have been, just 4 million been affected by it. And, and just being there this last summer and, and 
you know, God was gracious uh, to the camp we were at and to the churches we were at. They were spared the onslaught of that super typhoon. They did not get hit the brunt of that. Is it was interesting when we were there, and when you go to the outskirts of the Philippines, when we were in the city, there were you know there were street lights and it was pretty light lit up. But you get out in the country, when it got dark at night, you didn't want to be on the road. You could not see a whole lot, and those roads weren't paved that well, and it was it was kind of a, a you know a um, adventure, let's say, dr- you know, traveling at night in certain parts of the Philippines. But when we uh, we put on a, an evangelist campaign. Uh, one of the nights there on a, on a Saturday night, and they had had a, a brownout already. I guess the difference between a brownout and a blackout, a brownout, as you know, is happening. A blackout, you know, just happens. But anyway, they had, they had it was a brownout. There was no electricity flowing through, and we were supposed to have this crusade out in this park area, and, and we needed electricity to show the various things that would be going on in terms of music, in terms of puppets, and children's activities and a variety of different things that we needed some visuals to, to be able to do that as well for people to hear in an outdoor arena. Well, right when we got to the point of doing the gospel presentation, there was a brownout. Everything went dark and people started screaming and running. It was, it was interesting to watch the Christians who were putting that on. They, they did not panic. They didn't act like people of the dark. They looked, acted like people of the light. And all we thought of how can we bring back light to these people who are now filled with darkness. And people ran and got generators and we produced our own electricity. People brought in cars and, and put the, the headlights on and, and just kind of illumined the area. Because we recognized so desperately that these who were there, it wasn't the physical darkness that would be damning for them. It was the lack of spiritual light that could determine their destiny. God wants us to understand that the gospel is so simple. It's simply believing in Jesus. But believing him in such a way that we want to do not what we want, but what God wants. Let's pray. Well, I pray that as we think about life and how life can be so short when things happen and and things that we cannot control, and, and then we really understand what's most important in life. It's not, it's not the things that so often we have to spend so much time pursuing, and there's nothing wrong pursuing things. But, Father, help it not to be our idol, our God. Help us not to pursue our own desires and our fleshly uh, experiences that, that we put them in front of you. Father, help us to see people as people that you love and have died for. Help us to want to bring the light to people who are in the darkness. Even though they look good on the outside, they so desperately need the light on the inside. And Father, if there be anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, might they, they completely and fully put their faith in Christ, desiring what he wants in their life. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As we conclude our time together, let's stand as we sing. And if you'd like to talk a little bit more.